Can we go to Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4? It's a book we hardly ever go to, but boy, is it a good one. I even had some trouble finding it in my Bible. <laughs> Took me a few extra page flips than usual. Hallelujah. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Hallelujah. I don't hear too many pages flipping, so I'll assume that you guys got it. Or you didn't bring your Bible with you. It's okay. We still love you. Or it's in the eye? Oh, you cheaters. That's okay. So am I. Oops. Don't spill the oil. Hallelujah. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. It came to pass in the month of Chislev. In the 20th year, I was in Shushan, the citadel that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with me from Judah. And I asked him concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. Now, again, this is Nehemiah speaking. He says, so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Master, thank you for this time that you've given us to be in your house and in your presence in the midst of miracles and great power. Hallelujah. I believe we are in the last days and we are going to see more of this uh, in an exponential level. And Father, I just pray that you would just help me to step out of the way today and I pray that you would speak, that your Holy Spirit would guide us and direct us and that you would change us, our hearts, our minds, our soul, that we might leave this place encouraged, empowered, and ready to take on the enemy on all fronts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Again, I'll try to go fast. As a judgment from God himself, the Israelites, which were the Jews, the people of God, Old Testament now, remember Nehemiah is a minor prophet, found themselves in captivity repeatedly. It was a cyclical thing going on where they were constantly being captured, freed, recaptured, freed, recaptured. It's ridiculous. I said it's ridiculous. But that's us. That is human nature. Hard-headed. Old Testament calls it stiff-necked. And so as a judgment, Israel found themselves in captivity for I think it was 150 more, more, more years, and uh, they were captured by the Babylonians, and the Babylonians, they grabbed as many of the Jews as they could, the really smart ones that they thought were talented, and they could help the, the Babylonian king do his things, and so they were in captivity. So these smart Jews were working in the king's court, and the Persians eventually conquered the, the Babylonians because of that age-old proverb that says, there's always a bully bigger than you. So the Persians took over, Babylonians are gone, and now we have King Artaxerxes. Say that three times fast. Bet you can't do it. Now this, is what, this was the second Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And Nehemiah worked for this king of Persia. He had an interesting job. How many of us know what a cup bearer is? Cup bearer. All right. T tell us what a cup bearer is. It's the person who, uh, I guess, drink, not I guess, uh, it's the person who, 
drinks the beverage before the king drinks it to make sure it's not poisoned. Who wants that job? <laughs> you are checking the king's food to make sure it's not poisoned. And if one day it happens to be poisoned, your job will be filled the next day. Isn't that wonderful? Now, even though this was not necessarily a glory job, you got to live in the king's court. And you were treated right. You might want to treat the cupbearer right who's testing your food because he might be the dude to poison it. He'd be the one closest to the food, right? He could hide it in his mouth and spit it out when he's, you know, checking it and then for the king. So Nehemiah is in an interesting position. Because he's the cupbearer, he has the ear of the king. He had a relationship. How many of us know the story? I might be able to skip some stuff. Why didn't more hands go up? <laughs> and so when he heard the news from his friend, his, uh, his friend had traveled back from Jerusalem. He asked his friend, how's Jerusalem doing? He said, the people are in bad shape and uh, the walls of Jerusalem are torn down. And it, 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 um, it made him sick. It made him feel terrible. In fact, it made him somewhat depressed. The first thing that he did, as we all should do in a time like this, is he turned to prayer. In fact, as he turned to prayer, this, this funk that he was now in turned into a burden. Everybody say burden. All right? I'm going to repeat that word several times. It's a word I want you to remember. There are going to be three words today. All right? Everybody say burden. Responsibility. Everybody say action. All right. Again, burden. Responsibility. Action. Move your fist like that. Go like that. Action. All right. Burden, responsibility, action. He developed a burden for what was happening in Israel now, specifically in Jerusalem. Israel was divided at this time. There was Jerusalem and then there was Judah. And so what he did, he, as he got the ear of the king, one day as he was serving, an interesting thing happened. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 2. One through four, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad, since you're not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, May the king live forever. Now this is something that you would say in the presence of the king. I guess it's their protocol, procedure. Kept you from getting your head chopped off, I'm sure. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, what do you request? Now, I had read this before, but this time it was a little bit different. I noticed something. I realized that there was a relationship here. Because generally somebody who was a slave would be afraid of the king to mention something like this. So... Because there was relationship here, there was this moment where he was doing his daily duties, and it reminded me of my wife, believe it or not. Now, this might sound funny, but when my wife wants something, she'll do this little cutesy voice, this little baby voice, and, and usually her request will start with, Papi? If you're in a relationship, you understand this, right, Nate? Right? And immediately, I'll know something's coming, she wants something, and my response will be, what do you want? And I think that's kind of what happened with the king in Nehemiah. I think that there was a relationship there where he normally would come in, 
and he would serve the king. That was planned. But today, but today was a little bit different. He may have looked something like this. Now, something like that normally would seem like manipulation. Not if it, there's a relationship there, though. And I think Nehemiah knew this. And he used it, the relationship that he now had with the king, as an opportunity. And so he said, you know, what is it that you want? And he said, my, my city, the city of my forefathers, lays in waste. <sighs> okay, what do you want to do about it? He requests to go to the city to rebuild it. To rebuild the captive city, the city of slaves. What? Now, how frequently do you think this happened? Not very frequently. Not only does the king grant him uh, the chance to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild he gives him letters for the governors that he has ruling in the area to clear him, a Jew, so that he could bypass the Babylonian governors. He also gives him a letter to give to the king's forest where they cut down trees to use the, uh, the materials to build with. He even sends a cavalry, 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 cavalry with him. Interesting how the grace and favor of God can sometimes even work through the unsaved. Ooh. Gloria a Dios. In any case, I got to go through quick. I'm just going to fly through. I'm sorry. I can't go deeper there. So he gets, to he gets to Jerusalem and he finds everything laid in waste, just as his, his friend had described. The walls were torn down. Not completely, but there were huge chunks of wall literally missing where there were these massive stones stacked upon one another. They had been torn down, broken down, and burned. There were several gates around the city that were now burned and gone, literally. The city had now become indefensible. They could no longer defend themselves against an enemy attack. Vulnerable, totally vulnerable. Thank you. And so he gets there and he finds, he finds the people of the city, Jerusalem. Now, as I said before, this pain in Nehemiah's heart turned into a burden, right? And Nehemiah then took what his burden was and he made a request from someone through relationship and was able to now go to the city to now take responsibility for this burden. Everybody say, burden? responsibility. So now we've gone from burden to responsibility. Because Nehemiah, all these ayahs, because Nehemiah had a burden, it transformed into a sense of responsibility. A sense of responsibility because, I believe because, he understood who he was in the sight of God, even though he did not grow up there in Jerusalem. He was raised in captivity in the king's court. He knew who God was, 
He knew what God's word was. He knew what God's promises were to the children of Israel. He knew what state they should be in and understood clearly that they were not in the state that they should be in. Somebody say amen. amen. Somebody say I'm paying attention. Amen. Somebody say it's not going over my head. There's an invisible net right here catching every bit of it. Amen. I believe that he went there on a mission. Somebody say he went on a mission. His burden made him feel responsible and it took him somewhere. Mm. Good Lord. There's more coming. There's more coming. I, I see a few lights. Somebody knows where I'm going. By the way, be careful how you treat your boss. <laughs> you might need a favor someday. And the favor that you need will require relationship. So don't treat folks in your job any old way. Be careful not to burn your bridges, especially with your bosses. They may stink. They may suck. They may be crazy. They may treat you badly sometimes. But if you kill them with kindness, you'll find sometimes they will turn. Because the grace and the favor of God is unstoppable. Amen? You mean my boss? Yes, I'm talking about your boss. I've had the worst of them. I know. God bless their hearts. What are you doing with your burden? Are you praying or are you complaining? Is it moving you to action or is it moving you to depression? Is it calling you to active duty or are you content sulking over it? Some people love to live amidst a pity party. Some folks just love living there. They love the, the, the empathy that it brings. They love pe people coming and saying, Ay, bendito. You don't deserve that, honey. Some people like to live there. Get up out of that spot if you are living there. Move out of there. Some people get stuck. It becomes a stumbling block. You know what a stumbling block is? A block you stumble over and over and over and over and over. It's, it's like, um, it's a word you taught me. Uh, when you get stuck at like a certain age sometimes. What's that word? What's that word? Fixation. Uh, yes, the good doctor. It's like fixation. You're stuck. My wife and I were discussing someone yesterday that was living their life in this state, this funk. They want to move forward, but because one part of their relationship isn't exactly the way they expected, they're unable to do anything else. That can happen sometimes. That's a stumbling block. You stumble over and over and over and over like a broken record. Are we tapping into our relationship with him to get what we need? Because we have... A relationship with a king, right? We don't have to stay in that stumbling block place, right? We could say, Jesus, I need this. And he answers. Right, brother? All right. That's right. Can I testify? From burden to responsibility. He took responsibility by going to Jerusalem. Remember, Nehemiah had no reason to go there. He lived in the king's court. He may have been a slave. He may have had to check the food for poison, but I'm sure he was living the good life. 
But when he got to Jerusalem, the governors of Jerusalem thought he was an idiot. They made fun of him. Nehemiah got to Jerusalem and he found some Israelites. And fortunately, he didn't find much uh, conflict in trying to convince them that it was good to rebuild. Because they too understood who they were. They too understood where they were and that it should not be permanent. See, they, they operated now out of the fact that this land was their inheritance. Not from man, but from God himself. Their inheritance was tied to that land, to those walls, to that area they were living in. Uh, their promises and their blessings from God were tied to that land. They weren't going anywhere. They had to stay there. So when Nehemiah came on the scene and said, hey, let's rebuild, even though everybody that was there, they weren't necessarily masons where they could build blocks. In fact, if you go and you look at the people that built, they were people that uh, were goldsmiths. I think one of them said that they were a perfumer. What the heck is a perfumer? They make perfumes? Right? They had other different types of jobs. These are everyday average Joes that weren't necessarily wall-building people. But they understood who they were. They understood why they were building. They understood what came next after they built. Amen? There's a light here somewhere. I'm seeing it. I got a couple like little light bulbs that are going off. So when he got there, they said, okay. Now, for an, a small experienced team of wall builders to show up on the scene would have taken them forever. But because the people that were living there decided to build that wall together, and they didn't, you know, go to different sites every day, they simply had, they had a very simple strategy. They built the wall that was in front of where they lived. That's all they were responsible for. If you lived here and the surrounding wall was right there, it's your job to repair that portion of the wall. Now, now that you have thousands of people working on the wall together, it's a possibility. The governors were making fun of them. They said, listen, if we send a fox to walk on the wall, it'll crumble after they finish building it. Not only is it impossible, it's a joke. Whatever they put together, it's just going to be a piece of bloop and it's not going to last. The devil is a liar. But guess what? Not only did they do it, they did it in 52 days. Now, does that make sense to you? Something they should not have been able to do, period, a year, two years, three years, ten years, people who make perfumes building brick walls does not make sense. They did it in record time. And they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. They understood their responsibility. They were literally living the burden every day. Nehemiah shows up on the scene with the vision. And they say, oh, you're the one we've been waiting for. Let's go. What's a brick? <laughs> now, I believe that they learned as they went. I believe maybe they tapped on their neighbor's door and said, yo, dude, what is that? What is that? And how does that become a wall? And they figured it out. Not only did they figure it out, they figured it out and built it within 52 days. Santo Dios. 
The impossible became possible simply because people recognized their responsibility and decided to act on that responsibility according to who they were, according to the inheritance that God had given and promised them, according to what they understood their situation should be, not what it was at the time. Somebody's not hearing me. Calvary Christian Fellowship Church just bought a building a few blocks down. I don't know why y'all are so quiet. (laughs) Woo! And like Israel, Calvary has gone through its stuff. Oh yeah, Calvary Christian Fellowship burnt down to the ground at one time. I wasn't here. I didn't get here yet. But when they were on 116th Street, there was a supermarket fire. And their, their, uh, the sanctuary was right above the supermarket. And there was a gigantic burn hole like in the middle of the sanctuary. Is that crazy? Now, any other church? That would have been the end. No mas. In the, name, in the words of Roberto Duran. No mas. But our pastor is resilient. Our elder is... Re- We've had people rise against pastor and elder... Over the years, people leave that we thought that they thought were integral and vital parts of this church that they, you know, if this said like in each church, you have like a set of folks, right? And they kind of run the show uh, administratively. And so some folks that were kind of that part of that crew bounced and left the, the, the faithful few stranded. And anybody who was watching this whole scenario might have thought, man, these guys are going to just fall apart now. I don't think so. I don't think so. Man's got skin like leather. Pastor too. He's not that big, but he could take a licking. And they understand their responsibility to God. And so now they are taking action. We have a building. And not only are we building a building, right? There's a lot of work going into it. I was there just this morning taking out chairs. There's a lot of work going on. And we need you. We need money. We need your time, your resource. We need you to bring more folks in. If you understand your responsibility, you're going to take action. Amen? Now that we have a building that we can have 17 services a week now, it's up to us to pack it out every service. Do we want to see that? Do we want two services, three services on Sunday? When we went over for that corporate prayer over there on that Wednesday night, God gave me a vision. And I saw the front altar area, and there were about five rows of people on their knees repenting before the Lord just before you got to the area where the seats were. Man, that was cool. God is going to do it. But do we understand our responsibility? Do we have a burden? That's the question I have. Uh, Nehemiah understood that God had not forgotten the Israelites, had not forgotten Jerusalem, had not forgotten the promises. God has not forgotten Soundview either. Or the folks that you work with and go to school with every day. My mom 
moved us here, my brother and I, in uh, 1986, right? The, yet, the Mets actually won the World Series that year. That's how I remember it. <laughs> I don't like the Mets, but I just happen to remember because it's such a <clears throat> non-happening occurrence. Is Richie here? No. Okay, good. Richie is a big Mets fan. Got to be careful around that brother. Excuse me. God has not given up on Soundview. So 1986, I was 11 years old. And there are a number of churches in this neighborhood, right? I kind of grew up on Lafayette and White Plains Road, which is literally like three or four blocks down that way. And so moved here when I was 11. The area is surrounded by churches. Most of these churches have been here for decades. Decades, literally. And between the ages, it took me until the age of 19, I actually got saved, right? And between those, in, the, in that eight-year period, I can't remember once of any of the churches in this neighborhood or any of the members, I can't remember ever be actually hearing the gospel or somebody stopping me on the street and praying for me or any instance like that. But there are a lot of churches around here. Like one on every corner. Now, I'm, not, I'm not trying to put nobody down. I'm not trying to put the, the, the churches down or the, or the congregation. But why is that? It's just a simple question. I don't, I don't have the answer. But the question I want to say, that, that I want to ask you this morning, afternoon, not sure, is what kind of church do we want to be? What kind of dent in the kingdom of hell do we want to put? How many young people or people that are uh, held down, burdened down with generational curses and sicknesses and, um, and, and um, addictions are in this neighborhood that need us, that need us to go and say, listen, there is good news for you. You don't have to live this way. I was once. God can do the same for you. Here is the word of God. What kind of church do we want to be? Do we want to be like this closed-in church where... Or do we want to pull as many in as we can? Make no mistake. You might disagree, and that's cool. I believe we're living in the last days. I believe the rapture is coming real soon. You don't have to. That's fine. But I'm intense and passionate because I believe that God... Uh, I believe that that last stage before the and the great taking away happens is coming very soon. No, I don't have a trumpet. That was my lips. Eat your heart out, Brandon. I believe we're living in those days. And even though I'm making jokes, we got to take that seriously. Something changes. Something happens when you own property. When you rent, you know, and you bounce from place to place, it's interesting because you can kind of change your face every time you move. You can reinvent yourself and be cool in a different way or hide some of your crud. And, peeps, peep, and you're not going to be in a place long enough for people to really figure you out, really get a finger on you. But when you own something, you can't go anywhere. You're planted there. You're going to stay there for a while, and people are going to watch you over a long period of time. Something happens. Something happens. We need to be consistent. We need to be serious about transmitting this word of God to people. 
about reaching out to the Tonys of the world who are suffering and dying and looking for love and turning to drugs and turning to uh, the occult and, and satanic teachings. Those Tonys are living in this, in this area, this neighborhood. Some of us are still in the neighborhood. Right, Gio? We need more... Um, good Lord. The sister that lives upstairs right next door. Alicia. We need more Alicias. We need more people from this neighborhood coming, hearing this thing, living the good life. Amen? You guys falling asleep? Yes, you are. When we, receive an, when we receive a burden from the Lord, it's got to become our responsibility. Amen? All right, I'm flying right through. We are now tied to this land, and it's time we invest our time, our energy, our effort, our finance, our blood, sweat, and our guts. Let's go to Matthew 16, 24 and 27. Matthew 16, 24 through 27. Did I say 16 before? Sorry if I didn't. Matthew 16, 24 through 27. I'll just read it. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his, with his angels, and then he will reward each according, according to what? You want a big reward or you want a baby reward? reward? You want to get to heaven and have God give you a snicker bar or do you want a mansion? Tell me you want to settle for a doggy biscuit. And I'm just going to laugh at you. I want a reward, man. Who wants a reward? Jesus said, if I go and I start building some mansions for you, I'm going to come back. He's building mansions. Make no mistakes about it. There's streets paved with gold. I know it sounds crazy, but it's the truth. You'll see. God is real. You can choose not to believe the word of God, but it's real. What happens to a brick house when the mortar's left out? If you stack bricks, one on top of another, and you build yourself a house, and there's no mortar, you know that concrete stuff that you see in between that holds the bricks together? What happens to it? It what? It'll fall apart. Amen. The building we're building is not just a building with bricks and mortar. But the Bible talks about the church being us. We're the stones of the church. We are what make up the church. It's just a building. But we are the church. We are the houses, the little houses that God lives in literally. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. We are lively stones. Amen? If you don't have a burden, you're doing something wrong. I'm sorry. There's no way you could be reading the Word of God. There's no way you could be praying regularly. There's no way you could be in relationship with God and not have some kind of burden. 
when you come to church, there's got to be something that you see that you got to say, oh, that should be this way. Why are they? Right? How many of us have felt that? You can laugh. You don't know what to do with it, right? It's simple. Pastor has told me that when you feel that way sometimes about something, it's an indicator that God is nudging you to get involved. You might be the change agent necessary for that situation, for that ministry, for that particular thing. But get God involved. Because if you're not getting nudged, the Holy Spirit is not touching you. If you don't have a burden, you are disconnected. If you don't have a burden, you're not going to feel responsible. And you will never take action. You will continue to warm the pews and be content. If your only burden is to come on a Sunday morning and shout and clap your hands, you have missed it. God will move on to somebody else that is a willing vessel. Somebody hear what I said? If you're content with just sitting on a Sunday, every Sunday, and saying, bless me, Lord, I come to get my shout on. I come to rejoice in the Lord. But Monday through Saturday, there's nothing else going on. Stay home, man. I hate to be mean. I actually wrote, wore this shirt today. Right? Wore it as an undershirt, but it's kind of cool. It says, freedom is not free. I am free to run. I am free to dance. Why are you free to run? Why are you free to dance? Jesus Christ was nailed to an old rugged cross for that freedom. It cost something. Listen, I wouldn't, I wouldn't allow myself to be nailed to a cross for you. I'm just being honest. But God himself, Emmanuel, God with us. God manifested in the flesh, John chapter 1. Dwelt among us, we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father. He was nailed to the cross. Our freedom cost something. We got to feel to some extent that we owe him a little something. Just a little something. Maybe a Bible study on a Monday night. Even if it's just dropping a word on somebody that you know is less mature in the Lord than you, giving them a testimony and saying, listen, man, God has done this for me. He can do this for you. Man, that takes 10 seconds. You can do that. Don't get caught up in what you think you know or what you think you don't know. You don't have to have a title. You don't have to have a lot of knowledge. All you have to do is be a willing vessel, be connected with God, pay attention when he's telling you to do something and do it. Last time we spoke about Joshua. And we talked about Joshua's two characteristics that I thought were really cool and that he, was, he knew how to be dependent on God and he knew how to be de- obedient to God's word. You know, the bricks of a building, that mortar in between, I would say that that's kind of like the Holy Spirit that holds it all together. And unless you get God involved in your daily life, unless you're serving and worshiping him, Every day, that mortar is not going to be there. And you're not going to feel a burden. And you're not going to feel responsible. And you're not going to take any action. Be mad at me. It's okay.
but I'm telling you the truth. Y'all can beat me up after service, but I'm telling you the truth. Daily word, daily prayer, relationship with the king. We have a responsibility to this neighborhood that we now own. We have a responsibility to God. He has bought our freedom with the price of his own blood. Somebody say burden. Somebody say responsibility. Somebody say action. And that was the abbreviated version. Who's ready to take some action? Who understands their responsibility? What good is it if you gain the whole world and you lose your own soul? Or other souls get lost because you were worried about making the millions? When we get to heaven, what are we going to do? God, look at the retirement plan I had set up. And, you know, God is gracious. He might say, oh, my son, that's very impressive. I see you were taking care of business. Very good. You were a good steward. So what did you do about the things that I was concerned with? Oh, well, man, I was too busy making all this money. I was too busy doing all of this other stuff. I had no time to reach out to somebody, to try to invite them to church, to love on my neighbor, to feed somebody, to give money or or clothing or whatever it may be to somebody who I knew was in need, to pray for somebody. I didn't have time to study your word. I couldn't answer somebody because I didn't know your word because I didn't have time to study. Really, my son, here's your doggy biscuit. <laughs> That's sad. Let's get on it. Let's let the Lord encompass every area of our life. Every area. Every moment. Let's meditate on the word of God. Let's have God in our thoughts morning, noon, and night. Amen? Let's listen to and follow his strategies because the worldly strategies are going to lead us to destruction.